every year, and we kind of consider the beginning of the year really to be uh, the fall, the school year sort of sets in motion. Uh, traditionally for Door of Hope, the busiest time of the church uh, is, is after this weekend, starting next weekend, this is the time of year when people in the city that don't go to church start considering if they're thinking about it, we'll explore church. Uh, so we generally see an uptick in visitors. Uh, September and January, it's the same with gyms, right? Uh, and so churches and gyms seem to have the same, uh, same growth patterns. Uh, and obviously, this is the end of, uh, how are, is it going to be like, really, come, please come down and be baptized. It's going to be better than watching baptisms, because it's going to be like 102 at Selwood. But it's going to be awesome, and it's worth, worth coming to. I think it's going to be a beautiful time. We do have a handful of baptisms today. Uh, but with the beginning of each year, I think it's important. A church uh, has its tendency, as we are eight and a half years old now, uh, I, I, I think it's important every year, repetition is king, uh, and the need to remind ourselves of our unique DNA, uh, what makes Door of Hope, Door of Hope. Some of you might be visitors today. Some of you have been here for years, and I still would argue that it's important for us because I need to remind myself constantly of what is Door of Hope about what is the filter by which uh, we are able to gauge what we're about and how well are we doing in, in fulfilling the unique vision that God has given us? Uh, I worked at too many churches where when asked what the mission statement or the vision for the church is, it would be, we want to see people saved. And that should be the mission of every church, to fulfill the Great Commission, of course. But there's also contextualization. There's the, there's the uniqueness of the various bodies where the church functions differently depending on where it's at serving the same Jesus, preaching the same gospel, but what is the unique makeup of that church that makes it different from a different church? Uh, and so I always want to come back again and again, at least once or twice a year, to the pillars by which we founded the church. And when I started Door of Hope with my lovely wife, Darcy, in 2009, before I did a single service, I prayed that God would give me just a vision for the church, knowing my uh, tendency. Oh, Wolfie. <laughs> His name is Wolfie. He can cry because that's the cutest name. Andy's a cute baby. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things was, what, what, is, what is the vision? Knowing my temperament, which is I'm a person who's interested in everything, God knew that I needed some serious rails to keep me on, on task online. And there were four things, four pillars. And mo many of you know what the pillars are, but the pillars are what? The cross. We preach Christ and him crucified. Community. We're committed uh, to intentional life together around the person of Jesus. Simplicity, which is our philosophy, keeping the main thing the main thing, not allowing ourselves to be inundated, uh, to be overly programmatic, uh, but to, in an age of, of much, to strip away the unnecessary to get to the essence of a thing, which is the gospel itself. And then fourth, the city of Portland. And, and uh, as I've stated before, the fourth pillar is the only one where uh, it seems to make people mad. Uh, but I want to approach them again, hopefully with kind of fresh eyes, because every year uh, there's greater clarity on, on how it is that we can actually live according to these pillars and what is the biblical grid by which we've established them. I want to begin with uh, one of my favorite quotes from the Screwtape Letters, a book that many people start but few finish, I found. I don't know why. Maybe it's the 
maybe it's the subject matter. Uh, but there's a fascinating, you guys know the premise of screw tape letters, right? There's, there's two demons, an elder demon and a younger demon. Screw tape uh, is the affectionate uncle of the younger demon, Wormwood, and he is giving Wormwood advice on how to basically bring down uh, this new convert to Christianity. Uh, and so he writes in this one specific, first, when he comes to Christ, Screwtape is super frustrated with Wormwood for that even happening. But afterwards, now it becomes a strategy of how to actually diminish the effectiveness of his Christianity. And he has something really fascinating to say. He says, I heard that your, your patient essentially is looking for a church. And he says this about it. He says, you mentioned casually in your last letter that the patient has continued to attend one church and one only since he was converted and that he is not wholly pleased with it. May I ask what you are about? Why have I no report on the causes of his fidelity to the parish church? Do you realize that unless it is due to indifference, it is a very bad thing? Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, speaking of God, wants him to be a pupil. I think that the profoundness of that statement is that we live in a, in a time where uh, we are built to believe that what makes us happy is the most important thing in life. And we apply that grid often even to our spirituality and to our church experience. And the reason that I continually come back to the pillars is because church matters. Church is the means by which Jesus has designed to fulfill his covenantal promises with humanity and to bring about his kingdom through the proclamation and through the witness, not of a sole person, but of, a, of church bodies, church communities. Yes, we all make up the big C church, but the big C church is made up of lots of churches that, that are locally placed throughout the world in different cities and different towns. And for the purpose that the gospel is most powerfully proclaimed, not by individuals, but by communities living out the love of the gospel. And when we aren't committed to any particular community, when our average attendance, according to statistics in America, is 1.5 times, what does that mean? 1.5 times, like, I was like, so people go once and a half? I think they're averaging, every, obviously, everybody, but the average person misses about two to three weeks of church a month because it's no longer seen as crucial to living out the gospel, but that is not what the New Testament declares. And I think that we need to understand that the church matters because the church is the very thing that Jesus himself established, that we would be literally his body, and that his leadership, his headship, would be experienced through the community functioning as his body, the proclamation of the gospel, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And I, I want to just remind you, I've, I've shared this before, but why the church matters is, are these reasons. The church is a community that proclaims the lordship of Jesus and the hope of the coming kingdom. The church is a community who is around Jesus and who he sees all around himself. The church is a community whose one goal is the kingdom of God. The church is a community who exists under Jesus and his lordship for the world. 
And I think that these things are incredibly important. And so in thinking in terms of that, that church shouldn't be optional for the Christian. You aren't saved into a vacuum. You, it's not a personal faith in, this, in the sense of individualistic, like my faith is private. It's personal, which means that it's meant to be relational, which means that it's meant to be worked out in the context of community. Our salvation is to be worked out with fear and trembling. That is a, a declaration to a community, not to a person. And so what are the unique components of Door of Hope. Why are these four pillars so essential to everything that we do? And the first pillar, I think, is really important. It's the first movement, and it's an upward movement. It's the theology of Door of Hope, and it's the cross. We should never get wearied of talking about the cross. In fact, we shouldn't allow a week to go by where the cross does not come up, because if the gospel is the center of Christianity, the cross is the center of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, but we preach Christ crucified. Those four words wielding absolute authority in the churches, in the church life. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Why the cross? And that's an easy question to answer because this is the center as well as the content of our liberation. If the gospel is anything, it is a gospel of freedom. It, it is a revelation, for it teaches us what God is like. I think it's important for us to ask the question, why do we talk about Jesus so much? If we're talking about a triune God, we just got done looking at eight weeks of the role of the Holy Spirit. Why, why do we talk about Jesus? Why do we say that, that Jesus must be the name that is proclaimed? Well, the scripture says there is no other name under heaven by which one could be saved. But I want you to know that there is no God behind the back of Jesus, that he is clothed in his own gospel, that he is the revealer of the Father and the Spirit, that the gospel is God's movement of grace toward us in Jesus. The Son of God became man for our good, lived as a man for our good, died as a man for our good, and rose from the grave as a man for our good. He is a revealer of God's intention. He is a revealer of God's heart. So Jesus on the cross is the love, the compassion, the righteousness, the judgment, the mercy of God become literally an event. It's the actuality by which we lay our entire lives. The essence of our life is built upon the incarnation. And this is why the cross is essential. It's a revelation for it teaches us what God is like, but it is also our reconciliation for through Jesus, our relationship with our Father has been healed. We think about it that Jesus... The gospel, the cross, is, represents God's willingness to enter into his own creation instead of wiping out the rebellion, which is humanity, for we are all rebels against God's sovereign rule. We all have the tendency or the, the disposition to reject his grace. And instead of God saying, I reject humanity, I start over. The gospel declares something profound, that God enters into his own creation and he takes upon himself, instead of rejecting humanity, destroying humanity, he actually takes humanity's rebellion into himself. 
And that rebellion being taken into Jesus, where Jesus, why is the cross central? Because it is upon the cross where Jesus reveals the love of the Father. When he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He only spoke those things that please the Father. So in that moment, he was declaring exactly the heart of the Father. Father, forgive them. He wasn't getting in between us and an angry dad. He was revealing the very heart of the Father, that God, the triune God, care so deeply about humanity that is willing to actually enter into our rejection of him and take that rejection, that rebellion into himself. And instead of us being judged, the judge, the holy judge was judged in our place. It is our reconciliation for through Jesus, our relationship with the father has been healed. I always say that relationship is the essence of what it means to be made in the image of God. When sin entered into the world, the primary thing that became destroyed was not our ability to think and feel and will. The primary thing that was destroyed was our ability to relate to God, to one another, and even to ourselves. The gospel is about Christ taking that rebellion that perverts our ability to relate to God, to one another, and to ourselves. He takes that rebellion into himself, and opens up the new way for that relationship in all three directions to be healed. This is why the cross is our first pillar. It's not only a revelation that teaches us what God is like. It's not only the reconciliation for through Jesus, our relationship with the Father has been healed, but it is third and finally the liberation of our lives for the liberation for Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience that we could not and died under the judgment that we deserve. And all of this he did that through his resurrection and ascension, he might set us free. The church is a place where the community of faith is built upon the freedom, the liberation that Christ has made possible for us. Not the freedom to do what we want, but the freedom to do what is right. The freedom to live in the light and the love of who Jesus is, the revealer of the Father and the Spirit. We do this empowered by the Spirit, and this is why Paul said, with all that he knew, he said, we preach Christ and him crucified. It makes sense that the cross is the first pillar. People have said, why not the resurrection? Because resurrection implies first death. And the cross is the, is, is the gateway by which resurrection, liberation, reconciliation salvation comes. And so I hope we understand that this is an important aspect. And so what does that mean practically for us? It means, first of all, that we will be a church that continues to make Jesus Christ the center of everything that we do. That we aren't preaching if we're not talking about Jesus. That it is Jesus that offends the unsaved. It's Jesus that threatens society. We live in a city that is extremely spiritual. It's a city that people are more than comfortable talking about God and spiritual pathways. We can talk about chakras. <laughs> we can talk about energy work. We can talk about Allah. We can talk about Buddha. But I'm telling you right now, you want to test the theory that it is the name of Jesus that, that sucks the air out of a room and stirs up more emotional impact in one word than any other name, that is the name to test. And it's fascinating that Jesus continues to be a focus. of How many times do you go into a grocery store and it seems like every month there's a new magazine declaring that they've discovered who the real Jesus is? Would the real Jesus please step forward? 
You have all sorts of interpretations outside of what has been given to us uh, in the scriptures, uh, all sorts of fabrications around it, but he continues to be the most talked about person in human history. And I think that this is something that is worth noting. The reason I came to faith, actually, one of the things that led me to faith in Jesus was that I realized that there was power in the name because no other name stirred up so much emotion in a conversation. And I couldn't figure out why I felt so nervous to ask people what they thought of him before I had come to faith. Why was his name so troubling to me? I mean, really, if he isn't the son of God, if he's just, uh, if he's just the creation of man, the name doesn't seem like it should hold that much weight, right? That much power, that much authority. And yet it seemed to actually create legitimate discomfort. And I said, only unless there's some sort of legitimacy or validity, maybe it's the contrarian in me. I'm like, you don't like Jesus? I think I'm going to follow Jesus. <laughs> but I don't think that's what it was. I think there was a sense. We all know it because I, I think it's easy to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a person of faith or I believe in God. But to actually say, I actually follow Jesus Christ and believe that he lived and died and rose again for humanity. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. This is why the cross is our first pillar. And so practically, we will always preach Jesus. Also, I would just say this, that I've joined a group of pastors under Luis and Kevin Palau around the need for churches to become evangelistic once again. Um, and I think that this is something that's, that has troubled me. As Door of Hope has traditionally, I don't do altar calls every week where I call people to actually respond to the gospel, but that's become less and less prominent in churches, especially young churches, as uncool and emotionally manipulative. I honestly believe that the reason that pastors have stopped doing altar calls is because they're afraid of no response. But we shouldn't be preaching for the approval of people. And I think that, yes, faith is a journey, but it begins somewhere. And people need to have the opportunity to respond. And so the question, well, only 10% of, of those who, who actually respond to the gospel actually are following Jesus a year from now. 10% is better than no percent. When I was asked to come and speak at an evangelistic meeting uh, for all the pastors in Portland, it was amazing how many churches were absolutely opposed to any sort of gospel presentation or excuse me, like evangelistic calling people to respond, hands raised or stand up or coming forward. And, and they're like that, you know, it's, it, uh, we just want people, we want to help people along on the, journey, the faith journey. I was on a panel and several guys was like, we're, we're here to help people discover their faith through community, through life. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. So then I, I said, I said, great. I, and so I just asked the question, I go, how many of you pastors got saved through an altar call in almost every hand raised. And I'm like, nothing else to say because it's so stupid, so outdated uh, and emotionally manipulative. You, so emotionally manipulative that you entered into a career of ministry. So, so be it. We're gonna be an evangelistic church. That's what it means to have the cross as a center. When we started the church, before we got into any social justice movements, which we care about, I wanted, that was like the thing. It was like, it's easier to be about social causes that is acceptable in the city's eyes uh, than to preach the gospel. And I'm like, we'll start those sorts of things once we are established as a Jesus-centered gospel preaching church. 
Uh, and <laughs> my, my initiation into, into city work was doing open-air preaching at the park. I thought it was effective. Uh, so this is important for us as a church. And if, if you're visiting today and you're like, is this the church for me? Well, if you want to be a part of a church that puts Jesus as the central focus of everything that we say and do, then this might be the church for you. Uh, so this is our first pillar. Our second pillar, which is the second movement, and it's outward. If the cross is our upward movement, it's the source of our worship, it's the, it's the key to our gatherings, the second movement is outward, and that is community. And why is community so necessary? Well, I got saved into a movement that put a, a huge emphasis on personal faith. Person, it, was a, it was a movement that preached the word fully, but didn't actually push community very intently. In fact, the Sunday gathering was the primary, um, if not the central focus of the church. How many people? And it was, it was several megachurch movements that I was a part of um, before I started Door of Hope. And one of the things that I saw in my years working uh, within these churches is that, there, that A, it created a church that was built primarily on the personality of one person. Um, secondly, though the preaching was solid, there was, there, I, I found that it often led to a lack of maturity amongst the community because there was no means of working out what was being learned. And I think that it's important for us to understand that community is necessary because we are made in the image of God and our God is a relational God. He's a community within himself. And to have his image restored in us means that we actually find ourselves being rewired. That which, has become, which was dysfunctional uh, is becoming remade in the image of Christ. And that image is to be worked out in the context of community. And this is so important because I think that when Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good that man be alone, that's not just talking about marriage. Jesus never got married, but he lived his life intentionally with others. In fact, he spent very little. It says that he would have to get up in the middle of the night to get alone with his father. And even when he said, you'll leave me, you all leave me and go back to your own, but I will not be alone for my father is with me. He had a sense of community even when he was alone because he knew that it is not good that man be alone, nor is the truth. The truth is, is that we never really are alone, but the fact is, is that the essence and the awareness of God's presence in our lives is often found most fully in the context of relationships with other believers. In fact, this is why Jesus establishes that the validity of the gospel in our lives is evidenced by the way we as a community work together. Think about these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Notice he doesn't say you individually are being built into spiritual silos or islands. And here's the thing, is that every time I meet people who, have, who hold to the Christian faith but live outside of the church, it's only a matter of time before their awareness of Christ dissipates and they're thinking about the Christian. It's, listen, you, don't, you have to work for church. It's hard. There's a spiritual battle. Every time you get up on Sunday, I don't know if you notice, but your kids seem to be extra finicky on Sunday. It's hard to wake up. Um, there is, I think there is a spiritual battle to prevent us from gathering together. It's not natural. I, I told Darcy when we started Door of Hope, I'm like, I think I have to start a church because I'm worried that if, we, if I don't start one, I won't go. 
And I'm just be, being honest. It's hard. I think about that with community groups. Every time I go to community group, I'm so blessed by my fellowship. But you know how many times I feel like I need to cancel because I'm too busy or that? It's, it's a spiritual battle, and it's something that we need to fight for. It's something that we need to... Remember what I said a couple weeks ago, that the best things in life come with difficulty, that we cannot choose the path of least resistance when it comes to our spiritual growth. We need to understand that, as Peter says here, inspired by the Spirit, that we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To build means to be put together. This is the power of the church, that we're joined together not into a collective Whereas individuals, we lose our identities, but in joining together in the freedom that we have in Christ, where each person has a part to play, a unique part to play in completing the whole. It's the power. Even our evangelistic, our gospel-centric um, witness is dependent upon the whole community coming together around the word and the person of Jesus. What makes the gospel compelling is when someone comes in and hears the gospel preached, and then there's this whole body of people that are in agreement, having their lives transformed by it. And I think that this is important. Third, it's the primary way in which we as followers of Jesus move toward maturity. You cannot grow as a Christian alone. Now, it's true that there may be times that you, you will experience. And I think that we should never take the church for granted. Bonhoeffer talked about that. He was imprisoned uh, by the Nazis. And he wrote that beautiful little book, Life Together. And he even said that in Life Together is that we should never take the gathering and the fellowship of the saints for granted because there may be a time, it's a gift of grace, and there may be a time when you don't have it. And the reason that I say you can't grow, not, not fully alone, is because all the things that the gospel is about in order for them to be practiced, have to be practiced in the context of relationship. How can you practice forgiveness if you're never with anyone to forgive? How can you practice sacrificial love if there's no one around to love? How can you serve anyone if you're living life alone? You see how a private life, an individualistic life, is completely contrary to the realities of what the gospel is about. So what do we do practically in thinking through the second pillar? Well, I think that just coming, I would say if you're one of those people that makes it to church once a month or twice a month, make this a non-negotiable. Not for my sake, but for the sake of the gospel, for the for the the fulfilling the actual commands of God. It says, do not neglect the gathering together in Hebrews 13. Do not neglect the gathering together of the, of the fellowship. We need one another. If you look at historical revivals, one of the primary aspects of true revival is that God's people can't get enough of each other. And so I would just say, what does it say in Acts? We're going to start Acts in two weeks from today. And what does it say in Acts that they that they gathered together daily in the, in the temple and from house to house. The great revival that was birthed out of Pentecost 
was God's people having everything in common and living life together. And you know what? They did it daily and they still had time to actually be witnesses to their community. We live in this time where we think, hey, we don't want to overload people with too many commitments inwardly because we want them to be a light outwardly. I would argue that it is that, that our life together, the more that we actually live life together intentionally around the gospel, the more we will be inflamed and inspired to live the gospel out in our daily lives, at work and at home and in school, within our city a city that we desperately need one another to actually stand firm for the gospel. And so I would argue the first step is just being here. (laughs) Secondly, join a community group. This is is an important part. And I I was talking with some people uh, a couple weeks ago who were talking about how they were in a community group and they didn't connect and it was awkward for them. Um, And I would just say that relationships are awkward. and, And I would just say, try again. If that community group wasn't a right fit for you, it's, it's fine. You're not going to be best friends with everybody. The purpose of community groups is to hopefully help you help. We're, we're trying to facilitate lifelong, meaningful relationships that are intentionally around the gospel to help you grow. And so if that wasn't the right one, try another one. But don't give up on it. That's the key. I think that it's important for us to continue to press into this uh, even when it doesn't, like I said, the best things in life uh, are, are the most difficult things. Don't choose the path of least resistance. It may be easiest to maintain isolation from the church, but it's not the most fruitful, and nor will it make your experience within the church that meaningful. So our second pillar is community. The third pillar, which is the third movement, and I would argue that this is an inward movement, is simplicity. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, it says, Paul writes this to Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, talking about all the different lures and temptations of the world. And he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This pillar is about release from the emptiness of a culture and society that continues to feed us the great lies that we are the centers of our own universe and that more is more. One of my favorite authors uh, who actually is no longer with us, he took his own life, David Foster Wallace. Uh, If you want to read a great novel, read Infinite Jest. It'll take you a summer, but it's worth it. But if you don't have the appetite for an 1,100-page novel, he did give a little speech that (laughs) I have found that Christians love to quote. I'm like, you don't have the right to quote David Foster Wallace until you've read Infinite Jest, in my opinion. But uh, if you want to quote from a really great little speech that he gave a year before he took his own life, Uh, it's in a form of a little book called This is Water. He said this. He said, everything in my own immediate experiences supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe. And uh, And then he says this. The realist, most vivid and important person in existence. Everything in my immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realist, most vivid, and important person in existence. This is what we are bombarded with. This is why we need one another, and this is why we need simplicity, because here is what we are dealing with in a society that promotes the self as the only true God. 
that, self, that sexual exploration, as it reaches fantastical proportions, not just sexual exploration, but sexual identity even, so has sexual dysfunction. As wealth is accumulated, debt has skyrocketed. Rocketed. As knowledge is increased, literacy has plummeted. As entertainment is available 24-7, we have never been more bored or miserable. We live longer, but are perpetually anxious. We live healthier, but we are less mentally stable. We possess more and yet are never satisfied. We are more connected than ever and, then, and lonelier than we thought was even possible. This is the reality of what we are living in today. And I think that with hearts that are deceived in a society that pushes us deeper into the deception, it is no surprise that we struggle so much with idolatry. We worship these things. And listen to what Wallace goes on to say in his speech that he gave. He says, if we worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, you will never have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die one million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid. Worship your intellect, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And I think that the fact that we all live, tend to live so far beyond what is necessary for healthy living reveals the oppressive reality that much of our lives are spent simply spinning our wheels. Simplicity is about stripping away the unnecessary to get to the center. And Door of Hope is committed to keeping the main thing the main thing. This is why, I, in the, it was funny, in the evangelistic meeting, and this is just contextualization, they, there was discussions about, hey, kids live on their phones. I know, I have a 15-year-old and a, an 11 and about to turn 12, a 15 that's about to turn 16. We understand the power of social media and, and the rise of the iPhone, and there actually is a book coming out um, and studies showing that teen suicide, depression, and loneliness and despair um, has been increasing at a rapid rate since 2012, or excuse me, since 2010. Uh, so at the birth of the iPhone, it just happens to be in parallel that, that, young, that young kids growing up with their whole lives with this device is experiencing new levels of loneliness and disconnect from their peers. It's not, it's not surprising. But simplicity is something that we as a church need to grab a hold of. And when I was talking with this group of pastors, a lot of them were saying, hey, this is the reality. This is how kids live today. We need to take full advantage of the digital age. We need to be doing most of our preaching through tweeting and through blogging and through um, through internet presence. And there were many pastors that were doing that. And I was like, I was getting so stressed out in the conversation. And then I, and then I said, I've had a Twitter account for eight years and I've never, I still have yet, I've looked at it, but I've still yet to actually tweet something. It just, it seems so crazy to think that I, I'm like, I can say something super meaningful in 150 words. Uh, that, that's going to really change someone's life today. Uh, nor do I want to feed into the already attention deficit uh, that we're dealing with as a society where the most information we can handle is a couple tweets. Uh, and there's plenty of people in the world that are tweeting plenty for us. And so I, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that's like, we, that's what, I mean, Door of Hope has never really done that. We're not that, we, we've really downplayed uh, technology for being an urban savvy church, I, I, I think relationships are good. And one pastor said, 
He goes, but it's getting less and less natural for us to have analog conversations like this. I'm like, did you just call human interaction analog? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a musician. I know what analog is. This is actually just called people face-to-face, -face, but don't call it analog, okay? <laughs> um, this shows us why simplicity. Man, praise God if God effectively, he'll use all sorts of, the Bible project was birthed out of Door of Hope. We're not saying that, that technology and these things aren't, aren't, it isn't possible to redeem those things for good. I'm just saying that Door of Hope is committed to keeping the main thing the main thing, which means that there's a lot of things that we're not gonna do because we wanna keep Jesus central and we wanna keep relationships central. And we think analog is best, okay? So that is our third pillar. Fourth pillar in closing. The fourth movement is forward. And I think that we need to understand that the Great Commission, call, Jesus calls his disciples, he says, listen, all power and authority has been given to me. And he says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have taught you. And I think that people have often asked, like, well, if that's the call, should we not, we, should we not have a, a nation's vision for our church? And I think that it's important that the fulfillment of the Great Commission begins in our own backyard. This is a missionary heaven right here. Do you know how many church planters come to Portland because Portland continues to have the reputation of being the most unchurched city in the United States? Do you think that, that is, that's what they say about Beaverton or Wilsonville or Hillsboro, the surrounding areas? I actually would argue that there's actually a pretty strong evangelical presence, a much more conservative presence, uh, ethically or morally conservative presence in the suburbs. What gives Portland its reputation is not the greater Portland area, not even Vancouver. What gives Portland that reputation is the urban core. It always has. I think about, uh, this, is, this is the reality. My kids, my son's in Cleveland. My daughter now is at Hosford Middle School. Henry, who has lived his, most of his life, both my kids living within the city, at, is at a school where he does not know a single Christian. A single Christian. This is a truly post-Christian city. When Door of Hope began, it exploded, not with the neighborhood Gen Xers. Do you know the generation that's utterly missing from the church within the city is, is my generation. Like we just, we just gave the middle finger to church and never looked back. And, and many of my generation moved to Portland to escape the, 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 what they referred to as the religious tyranny of Christian values and to experience the freedom of a progressive society. And Portland is progressive on levels that is pretty much unrivaled in the rest of the U.S., maybe with the exception of San Francisco. And I think that, that we need to understand that God has called us to a mission field and that we are wanting to fulfill the Great Commission, but why would we put our emphasis upon countries on the other side of the world when we haven't even figured out how to reach the lost in this city. Door of Hope's beginning growth was not among, among my, I, I lived in Laz Edition for the first five years. We didn't have, I think there was like one family in all of Laz Edition that went to Door of Hope, which is a quarter mile from where they lived. And yet the people that were getting saved were millennials. 
It was these parents' kids that were getting saved and coming to Door of Hope. And we need to understand that there is a lot of work to do. Just because we're eight and a half years old, we don't want to be a church that grows through transfer growth. We don't want to be a church that is, that is drawing its primary, primary base. Is this showing once again that my pants are too tight? Um, geez, it's humiliating. Is it still on? Okay, good. Uh, we want to be a church that reaches the place where God called us. And I think that people can take great offense to this pillar. Um, why, why do you put such an emphasis upon the city proper? And it's because that's where God called Darcy and I. It's not because we have issue with the surrounding area. In fact, just the opposite. We want to see the gospel proclaimed everywhere. We want to see the Great Commission fulfilled around the whole world. But it requires that people stay faithful to the place where God has called them. And God has called us here. And so we will continue to put our emphasis upon the city. And this, this raises several questions um, around what does that mean for me if I don't live in the city? What, if it, what, what does that mean in a city that's, that's radically changing, uh, where the cost is, is elevating to the point where people are having to choose to move further and further out to even be able to afford to be here? I understand those dilemmas, and we're not here to make people feel unwelcome, but we are staying committed to the vision that God has given us. We want to see Portland itself, the part that's called the most unchurched city in the, in the U.S., have a revival. And we believe that the best way uh, to, to do that is through analog experiences. I <laughs> just borrow that now forever. <laughs> we want personal relationships. To bring redemption to a community means there needs to be a reconciled body there. This is why we don't believe that Revolution Hall is probably our forever home. It, it may be a long-term home, but we are still committed to reaching the various neighborhoods of the city. It also means that because we know that the city is diversifying, that we are in the future committed to planting churches um, outside of the urban core because we know that people are moving and that the city is changing. So it's not that we're not called or committed, but our, our unique vision is that we are called to the city of Portland. And one of the reasons that we believe is very practical. That if you live, if you live, 35 minutes away, and you're driving into, into church every Sunday, I think if you were to ask an honest question, is it easy for me to be, be a part of the community in a meaningful way? I mean, one of our, the deepest reasons that I put so much emphasis upon being a part of the city, and, and when I say Portland proper, I'm not talking about the east side, I'm talking about Portland proper. And the reason that I, that, and that's actually a pretty big space, but the reason I think is difficult when you start living out further and further into, into surrounding communities, surrounding towns and cities, is that it becomes very challenging for you to be connected to the mission and unique vision that I've been going over. Uh, and, and we want you to have meaningful relationships, communities, and we tend to live life where we live. And we want you to have intentional life around Jesus with the community. And so this isn't a call for you to leave the church, but it is a call to ask you, what is it that you're trying to get out of Door of Hope? And we're not afraid to ask that hard question because we want to fulfill the mission that God has given us. We believe that God has called us to this place. This is where we've been for eight and a half years, and this is where we will continue to be. And we are still playing and thinking through how do we be good stewards with what God has given us, such as our Northeast location, 
What does that look like? When we tried the parish thing, we, we still are committed to the idea of parishes. We just realized that we need to do it differently. And these are things that we're praying through as leadership. But we want to reach the city. and We want to actually be effective for the gospel in the various neighborhoods throughout Portland. And so these are the four pillars the door of hope is built on. The cross is upward. Community, outward. Simplicity, inward and the city forward. And I just ask, is this what you want to be about? Is this, is, what, is this what you're looking for in a church? Because if it is, then I would just encourage you to join with us in a meaningful way this year. If you've been sitting on the parameters and you haven't been as engaged as you could be, let this be a year that that changes, that your relationship with Jesus would flourish in the context of the church community that you've committed yourself to. Amen?